Hey, everybody, this is Brian Scott, host of the Injured List podcast. Thanks for listening. Now, don't forget, we became a brand ambassador for SeatGeek. So shout out to them for sponsoring the podcast. What is SeatGeek, you ask? Well, they're a ticket app that takes confusion out of buying tickets. They put a 0 to 10 score on each ticket. So you know if you're getting a good or bad deal. Green good, red bad. My viewers get $20 off their first ticket purchase with my code InjuredListPod. So download the app. You can find it in the link in my description. And remember my code InjuredListPod to get $20 off your first SeatGeek order. And that can be to the NBA playoffs, the NHL playoffs, Coca-Cola 600, Major League Baseball, or an upcoming NFL football game that's right around the corner, you know. Great time of year to go ahead and get the tickets to that event you've been dying to go to. Use my code InjuredListPod using the SeatGeek app. Fantasy Sports Corp and Underdog Fantasy have teamed up to start your fantasy season off in the win column with Best Ball. What is Best Ball? It's quite simply the easiest way to win. No team management, no trades, no waivers. It's their biggest contest ever and it has only gotten bigger. You simply have to sit and win. You don't even have to set your lineup. Always get your best score every week. Just enter a contest, draft your team, and Underdog will do the rest. What could make this even better? How about free money? Up to $100 using our exclusive promo code. Go online now and use the promo code InjuredList to double your deposit up to $100. You tell them Gingerbread sent you. Good girl. And out of the injured list. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the host of the Injured List podcast, Brian Scott. All right, everybody, welcome to the Injured List podcast. Another great episode here for you today with another great guest. Today's guest is Mr. Kenneth Crippen, Ken Crippen. He is a historian for the past 30 years, a writer, having launched his own football academy called the Football Learning Academy. He's won the Dick Connor Writing Award, which is presented by the Pro Football Writers of America for feature writing. He's also won the Ralph Hay Award, also presented by the Professional Football Researchers Association for the Lifetime Achievement in Pro Football Research and Histiography. So without further ado, I'm excited to welcome Mr. Ken Crippen to the stage. Let's bring him up and let's get this show going. Ladies and gentlemen, Ken Crippen. Ken, thanks for joining us here on the Injured List podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Now, uh, I've told you and I, I, I remind my fans every year as we get closer to the NFL draft happening in April, uh, the combine is a big to-do these days, but it wasn't always. In fact, uh, I did an episode on the history of the combine and some of its early concepts and what it was really developed for but I'd rather hear it from a professional historian like yourself rather than coming from my mouth because I'm sure I probably missed on a few things and maybe didn't get it quite right. So now that we've got you on the stage here, can you take us through 
the whole history of the combine, how it got started and how it developed into what it is today? I think uh, before you get into the actual combine itself, you need to get into scouting organizations. So in 1963, uh, you had the first scouting organization. It was called Lesto, L-E-S-T-O. And that was when the Lions, the Eagles, and the Steelers grouped together. Uh, They officially called it the Lions, Eagles, Steelers Talent Organization. Uh, And then when they added the uh, Chicago Bears a year later, uh, it became Blesto, which is the name that people are familiar with now. Uh, And then, you know, if you continue in the history of Blesto, uh, the Vikings were added. It became Blesto V. And then Buffalo Bills, Baltimore Colts, Miami Dolphins, they were brought in. It was Blesto V-I-I-I. Um, then they think they decided just to kind of condense that again. The Eagles and the Lions were no longer there, and they just brought it back down to Blesto. So that was the first organization that was created. Second one was the Central Eastern Personnel Organization, or SIPO. Uh, that was when the Baltimore Colts, uh, they actually left that organization in 1971 to go to Blesto. Um, but... SIPO also had the Browns, Packers, and St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, And then they added in the Falcons, the Giants, and Washington. Um, At that point, SIPO ended up changing its name. So it became United Scouting. And then in 1983, they changed their name again to National Football Scouting Incorporated, or NFS. uh, Or now it's referred to as the National, but that is essentially the big organization that's going on now but there is uh, yet another scouting organization out there uh, this one was also 1964 it was called troika so it was essentially the dallas cowboys the los angeles rams at that time uh, and the san francisco 49ers uh, then the saints joined it a few years later i think it was 1967 that they joined and then the name changed to Quadra. Obviously, you can't call it Troika anymore if you have four teams, so they called it Quadra. Um, that team no longer exists, and those four teams moved over to the Nationals. So you've got these three major scouting organizations that covered the NFL. Each of them were going out trying to get information, and it was all the same information on the same players, and they were all competing with each other to try to get that information. Um, so essentially what ended up happening is that, uh, you've got, um, NFS or the national, you've got Blesto and then this Quadra and they started working together. It was a little while for them to have individual camps. So starting around 1976, they started having some camps NFS started having their first camp in 1982. Uh, That was called the National Invitational Camp. Um, But again, you had issues with all these organizations. They're holding separate camps, getting the same information. And colleges were kind of getting a little upset because now their players are missing classes because they have to go to three separate camps to do the exact same thing. So then what they did was they actually held a joint camp. And this was 1985 when this had happened, uh, that all three scouting organizations participated in a single camp. 
And that's where the name Combine comes from is because it was a combination of the various organizations and it was called the National Scouting Combine. So that's really the history of how it got to the Combine itself. They started moving around in different cities, uh, but then they settled on Indianapolis. Um, that was in 1987 they started doing that. And the reason why they did that is because the National is located in Indianapolis and they were the one running the organization. So, I mean, you have to keep in mind, the NFL does not run the combine. The national runs the combine. So interesting point just to make sure that people know that because they think it's the NFL running it, but it really isn't. Yeah, I think that often gets uh, overlooked uh, by a lot of fans and they kind of wonder why it's such a big deal. And mm-hmm. and correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, I- I'm in the, the sports medicine world here and Originally, some of the reasons that they compared notes and had all this information on players and started doing the camps and the combines was, was primarily for medical reasons because they wanted to be able to examine players, get their hands on them, look at prior injury histories and reports from doctors, and really figure out whether they were getting a product that was not um, you know, con- uh, broken, essentially. Correct. Yeah, I think it was 1976. Uh, the New York Jets started bringing in college prospects. You know, whether it's for interviews, whether it's for the medical exams, uh, and then the other teams saw this, so they started doing the same thing. That's when you know you also had some of these um, scouting organizations. They're pooling that information together, so that way you don't have all teams looking for the exact same information. They can share it but they were only sharing within those organizations. And so once it got to the quote unquote combine or a combination of all of them, that's when they started uh, being able to share information across all organizations. So you only have to take the medical exam once interviews were coordinated together. Uh, So it uh, definitely made it much easier and it cut down the costs for each of these individual teams to scout these college players. At what point did they decide to bring the athletes in and make them start going through these actual physical tests? Was that always part of it or was it primarily at the beginning just comparing notes and going over documentation and things like that? Well, they were always going through physical tests because they wanted to see how well the players performed, but uh, it wasn't always to the degree that you see now. Um, there's a lot more tests now. There's a lot more things that they do. Uh, and they also start getting into more of the, um, in the interview process, going through and making sure that players understand what's going on on the field, especially quarterbacks. You want them to be able to diagnose defenses. You want them to be able to pick up offenses. You want to make sure that they're going to be able to handle the workload as they come into the NFL. So this is something that just continually expanded um, out into what you're seeing today. But, you know, once they started scouting, you started seeing these things and you were seeing scouts uh, very early. I mean, if you want to really go back into it, uh, Wellington Mara was probably considered one of the first scouts when he was doing things in um, um, the early 30s, uh, early to mid 30s. Then you had Eddie Kotal come in. And he was really the first true scout. I mean, when you look at Wellington Mara, he was not traveling the country like Eddie Cota was doing. 
Uh, he was just doing looking looking at newspaper reports, magazine reports, magazine uh, interviews with these players, and then he would put together quote unquote scouting reports of these players, and then gave it to his father, who was the owner of the Giants, Tim Mara. But like I'd said, Eddie Kotal is the first one that went out there and really started traveling around, going to the different colleges, talking to the players, talking to the coaches, and really learning about the players themselves and putting together honest scouting reports. So that's where you can kind of trace things a little bit. Um, when Kodo was with the Rams, uh, did a lot of stuff with them. Uh, you see this best player available philosophy where you take the best player, whether it's a real need for your team, because you want to make sure you've got not only depth, but you want to make sure you've got the best players that you could possibly get at every position instead of just drafting for a specific need that came from Eddie Kotal and uh, Dan Reeves at the Rams. Uh, also looking around at uh, HBCUs, looking for players. Um, they signed the first African-American players in the NFL when Kenny Washington and Woody Strode came in. Uh, they also signed some um, additional players, uh, Tank Younger, Deacon Dan Towler. Um, they were all ones signed very early on by Eddie Kotal and Dan uh, Reeves. So they did a lot. And honestly, Kotal, in my opinion, belongs in the Hall of Fame. But that's where you start seeing scouting. And so when you're building up these interviews of these players, Kotal is the first one to really go out there and learn about how well these players played, but then also start getting into the psychological aspect, the intelligence of the players, and making sure that they're picking the right people for their team. I guess that eventually was what led them to introduce the Wonderlick test and some of the psychological tests they administer at the at the combine nowadays. Yeah, they continue to, you know, try to add more information to what they have, whether it's to get a competitive advantage or whether it was just to to learn more about these players. But when you're investing a ton of money in these players, you want to make sure you make the right decision. And so the more information you have, the more the better you're going to be able to pick the proper players now it's always an inexact science um but you know it's going to be one of those things where the more information the better uh so that's when you just continually see things added to uh how they scout these particular players now it all it hasn't always been televised at what point did it start to really gain momentum within the world of uh, media uh once you started getting into the 80s and that's when you started seeing uh, the draft. Uh, I think it was 84 is when the draft was first broadcast on ESPN. And as the interest grew, that's when you started seeing the combine come in. Um, and so it was really around 2004 when the combine started getting the television coverage. Uh, and then it just continued to, to grow from there. But 80s. You got the draft around 2004-ish is when they started uh, covering the combine. And has it been open to any player who is eligible to enter the NFL draft, or was it by invite only originally? Because obviously it was the National Invitational Camp when it first started. Have they expanded who is allowed to attend and participate? No, it's still invitational, and they need to limit it because obviously you know, you've got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of players playing and they all want a shot in the NFL. 
So they do have to limit it. And so there is a limitation as far as who all they invite to it. It's not an open invitation for anybody to show up. I guess that might explain why nowadays we see a lot of these pro days being um, coordinated and um, carried out at universities across the country where potential players who aren't invited to the combine can still showcase their skills. Yeah. I mean, there's two reasons for it. One is you have some additional players that could show off, but two is, is that it is a controlled environment when you have the pro days combine you don't have control over what's going on. I mean, yeah, you're going to know some of the skills and um, tests that they're, they're going to put you through. Uh, but still, some players look at it as, well, if I've already solidified a first-round pick, why would I risk going to the combine and potentially lose position within the draft? It's one thing if you're projected lower in the draft that you say, hey, I can only help myself. Uh, move up within the draft but to me to have a player that goes to the combine they're showing confidence in their abilities that regardless of what these coaches and everybody that's at the combine what they throw at them that they're going to perform well some of the people that you know they don't go to the combine they don't want to perform there you kind of wonder is it okay they have an injury that they're recovering from to me that's a legitimate excuse to not be there you want to give a little more time to recover but if you're going there because you're worried about not performing well to me that would be a red flag of okay well what's going to happen when things get tough in the nfl are they not going to show up are they going to be not have the confidence to go out there and perform to me, I would want somebody that's going to show up and prove it day after day after day to make sure that they're going to be good enough to be on an NFL squad and to succeed while they're in the NFL. Has much changed over the years with some of the physical tests that they've uh, conducted? Um, you know, as you as it went from that one organization to four, then back to the combine, um, have they kind of thrown some things out, brought some new things in? I know you said they've been developing and adding things over the years, but were there anything that they originally started with that were kind of like, well, there's, this is pointless. Let's switch this up. That I'm not sure. I'm not sure if they've uh, gotten rid of any of the skills that they had, if they've modified them. I know they've definitely added to it, but I couldn't uh, answer as far as whether they took anything away. Now, I know the medical community uses this as a really important um, educational experience. They often will conduct case reports and research uh, studies and present presentations amongst the medical staff that attend um, based uh, on behalf of the organizations that they represent and things like that. Um, does the media use this uh, in the same way or any other groups around the combine that use the combine as like a meeting point or a way to kind of coordinate and uh, organize or get together? I would say definitely um, not just specifically the media, but you've got all the agents there for the players I mean, you've got every NFL team represented in some way, shape, or form at the Combine. You've got the media there, like you had mentioned. You've got a ton of people where you can start networking for your client to make sure that they have the best opportunity to move up in the draft and make sure that they do get drafted. So huge networking that goes on um, every single day that they're there. I mean, people going out to dinner, you're going to get uh, – caught up if you see a coach there or something like that you're going to want to talk to them and schmooze them a little bit to make sure they know about the the clients that you have so yeah it is one big networking opportunity for 
players, for agents, for coaches to talk to each other, medical people, all that kind of stuff. So everybody's talking to each other 24 hours a day while they're there. Yeah, I think the whole, you know, the, the fact that it's been brought set front and center on stage here nowadays has really highlighted and in my mind confirmed that it's actually probably, if not more important than the draft itself. I mean, this is when all the real decisions are probably being made. Like you said, people are getting together, connecting, meeting, being able to go through all of the notes, uh, get all their information together, see the players perform on these tasks in person, get to meet them, introduce themselves. Draft night really is just kind of the icing on the cake, no? Yeah, I would say, you know, yeah, there's definitely a lot of scouting work that goes into uh, leading up to the combine. Uh, but you've come up with preliminary draft boards before you get to the combine. And then after the combine, you're going to be talking with your scouts and your coaches and uh, personnel people to make sure that you're really seeing things the way that uh, you thought you did. And so you're really starting to solidify those boards. Uh, there may still be some open questions, and that's where the pro days come in, where you can maybe focus in on a couple of particular players that you may have some questions on to see if you want to move them up or down on your board. Uh, but yeah, I mean, once you're starting to get, you know, toward the end of March, um, that's when you pretty much have your board solidified uh, and you're ready to go for the uh, the draft at the end of April. Have you personally attended any of the combines? I have not gone to the combines, no. Well, I've watched them on TV, but I haven't gone in person. Well, I'm I'm right there with you. I haven't gone, but I certainly uh, pop the TV on and watch as much as I can. Hopefully one day, maybe you and I will get an invite and be able to attend. I'd love to go from a medical point of view. It's a great way to hear some interesting medical science and r reports and studies um, on some injuries throughout the NFL, which is always pretty cool for what I do and helps me with my podcast and some of the other projects I have going on. So we'll see. Maybe one day we'll, we'll, we'll both get out there. Who knows? Yeah, and you see um, Dr. Alan Sills, who's the um, the NFL um, doctor. Uh, he puts out some regular webinars and stuff like that. So people who are interested in uh, any research that's going on, they just recently had one talking about um, concussions and head injuries and stuff like that. And, you know, it's definitely very informative to figure out what's the real data based on their research, as well as what are they doing about it. And They'll present those results of whatever improvements they're having, if there's no improvement, stuff like that. So, yeah, if you're definitely interested in the medical side of things, uh, sign up for Dr. Alan Sills' newsletter and attend his webinars. We'll do that for sure. Uh, let's shift gears a little bit. I want to go into uh, some of the other projects that you have, uh, the big one being the Football Learning Academy. Can you talk to us about that, how that kind of came to be and what exactly that entails? Yeah, I mean, I've been involved with the Professional Football Researchers Association for a long time. I was leading the organization for about 15 years, and it got to a point where I wanted to break off and kind of do my own thing. So that's when I formed the Football Learning Academy. I wanted to be able to teach the history of the game, uh, its players, its teams, how things evolved over time, stuff like that. So I formed it for that. I wanted to educate people on the history because when I'm watching, you know, whether it's the ESPNs, NFL networks and stuff like that, you'd have no idea that pro football history existed prior to Super Bowl one, if you're lucky to go back that far. So I really wanted to focus on a lot of that earlier stuff that nobody's really talking about that much. So 
that was one of the reasons. And then also I do a lot of work with retired players. I'm always interviewing them and stuff like that. And they've been very good to me. And I see everything that they go through, uh, all the medical problems that they have and everything that they're suffering through. So I wanted to be able to use this as a platform to be able to give back to those players. So a portion of all the proceeds that we generate at the FLA goes to help retired players that really need it, that can't afford to get that medical care. A lot of players nowadays, you know, they're making lots of money. Uh, so it makes it easier for them to afford it. But those players, you know, back in the older days, they had to take second jobs because football didn't pay that much. It's tough to get insured when you're beaten up on the football field. So it made it very difficult for them to pay a lot of their medical bills. And so I want to be able to, to give back and help them out because they've been so good to me over the years. Yeah, it's a great cause. And I highly recommend everybody check out Ken's website. And you got a podcast, uh, the Football Learning Academy as well. Uh, he's had multiple guests on the show. It's really entertaining. I uh, will have all of the information in the show notes for you guys to click on the links and get that information. Uh, Ken, what other things does the Football Learning Academy offer? I know they have courses, I think, that you guys have on there to basically teach you not just about the history of football, but about the game itself. You've got interviews with uh, former athletes. You've got athletes presentations and lectures as well. What else, Any other things that I'm missing? Yeah, I mean, we've also got a blog. Uh, we've done live events where we've brought players in for a live Q&A. Uh, so it's a way for uh, fans to be able to interact directly with the players themselves. Uh, and like you said, we also have the podcast as well where we're interviewing uh, a lot of former players. Uh, so it's if you want to learn about the history of the game, you know, this is one place you definitely want to go to to be able to learn about that. Speaking of the history of the game, uh, I was lucky enough to be in Canton this summer uh, attending the Fantasy Football Expo, which is held annually in Canton at the Hall of Fame. And I was there with some colleagues in the podcasting world that I, I work with. Uh, we were able to tour the uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame. First time I've been there. Uh, have you been? And if so, or if not, is there anything that's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame that as a historian holds a little bit of extra special meaning to you? Yeah, I would say... Yeah, I mean, yes, I have been there multiple times. Uh, it's definitely a favorite stop for me to go there, especially as a football historian. But yeah, I'd say the thing that really interests me is they have the ledger book from the Allegheny Athletic Association where Pudge Heffelfinger was paid $500 to play against the Pittsburgh Athletic Club. That is the first documented professional football player. And to be able to see something like that uh, to me is really special because that is the beginning of pro football that we know of. I mean, there's definitely some rumors and some innuendos as far as professionalism before that, but that is the first documented evidence of a professional football player. I do distinctly remember seeing that actually in the uh, display. So that was a very cool uh, piece of uh, article of history to see for sure. Mm-hmm. And um, do you work with the Hall of Fame? Have you contributed anything with the Hall of Fame in, uh, throughout your uh, 30 years in the, as a sports historian? Yeah, I have worked with the Hall of Fame. Um, you know, we had a pretty good relationship, uh, especially when I was with the Professional Football Research Association, where you know, we would always um, share information back and forth. And especially when it came to the All-America Football Conference, they knew that that was something that was uh, a big interest of mine and I knew a lot about it. So 
whenever somebody would ask questions on that, they would always send them to me. Um, if you look at um, Joe Horgan, he was actually a founding member of the Professional Football Researchers Association. So that's why we have that very good relationship with them. As far as um, items, I have contributed items to not only the Hall of Fame, but also the Buffalo History Museum, because I have a lot of Buffalo items and memorabilia. Uh, so that stuff's gone there. And I did work with Joe Horgan and one other person, and we purchased the official uh, score sheets for the All-America Football Conference, at least the ones that existed. Uh, so this is the first time they've made it out into the public arena. And so the three of us are the ones who own the only copies of those um, score sheets. So very cool. uh, definitely history with all that stuff. Very, very cool. Yeah. Is there any one bit of football history or fact that you would like to share that maybe a lot of us don't know or one thing that you're often asked about or maybe have to correct um, in people's uh, responses or answers when they're asked about football history? Is there anything that kind of jumps out at the top of your head? Well, when you talk about the first black quarterbacks out there, there's a lot of information going back and forth. Who was really the first? They say Willie Thrower was the first. But if you really want to look at it, the first person to line up and play quarterback was Kenny Washington. I'm talking about since the reintegration. Um, Kenny Washington was the first player. He threw a couple of passes. You know, he did line up in that position, but he doesn't really get the credit that he deserves for that. Uh, and there are a few other players, George Taliaferro. Uh, he always gives credit to Willie Thrower to, for being the first. But, you know, if you look at the, the dates of when things happened, you know, Taliaferro was definitely uh, somebody that needs to be considered, especially since he started at quarterback. Willie Thrower didn't do that. He came into a game uh, and played. So Talia Farrell was really the first starter at quarterback. So I think those are things that when you really dive into the history of it, those are some of the things that you need to correct the history of uh, and make sure that the proper people get the proper credit. Absolutely. And uh, if you guys have any, again, any questions, um, I'll have all of uh, Ken's uh, contact information in the show notes, along with the links to his website, the Football Learning Academy, and the podcast as well. Ken, if people do want to get in touch with you, though, real quick, how can they reach out to you if they have questions or uh, wanted to ask, uh, pick your brain about any history? I'd say the best thing to do is on social media, you can reach out to me. Um, uh, we're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. So any of those platforms, just search for me, search for the Football Learning Academy, and um, you'll be able to contact us that way. All right, great. Any any uh, any tidbits or anything uh, you want to plug about the upcoming uh, NFL draft this April? Uh, I will be doing a special podcast episode on the history of the draft. So that's something that uh, I definitely want people to look at. Uh, also talking about some of the history of the combine that's coming up in an episode um, pretty soon. So uh, definitely check that stuff out. And um, hopefully that you'll enjoy the podcast and want to keep coming back. Well, I'm sure they will. I know I have uh, on the side here. I've uh, taken a listen to a few episodes and really enjoyed it. I'm not a history buff, so it's always good to learn a little bit more about the things that we're covering these days. So I do appreciate that someone is, takes time and has the effort uh, in to, to go back through the history books and make sure everything's accurate and 
disperse that information to the rest of us. So I do appreciate your work uh, at the Football oh, Learning you. Academy and with the podcast and everything. And a special thank you to, to you for joining us here on the Injured List podcast. We always try to change it up a little bit, have guests from different uh, areas of sports and different arenas. And uh, we don't always just talk about sports injuries and healthcare, but it's nice to have a guy like Ken on to share some history about the combine, which is a big deal in the medical community as well. So Ken, thank you for stopping by. We appreciate it. And uh, folks, the Injured List podcast with Ken Crippen. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.